Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church today. It's great to be with you, and it's great to see so many faces again, people coming back. And uh, hello to you at home as well. We hope that you're not suffering with COVID too badly and that we will soon see you back here as well. Because of Anzac Day tomorrow, I've felt strongly led to focus our prayer on that for today. And we're certainly living through turbulent times. And for my generation and those coming after us, um, I felt like this is the first time we have witnessed daily the heartbreaking consequences of a brutal war of oppression. And I think it's even exceeding what we saw on television about Vietnam War all those years ago. And we're confronted with it daily. And I think we have even more gratitude for our parents and grandparents, uh, how they suffered and um, paid the price during the First and Second World Wars. And we're just so grateful for what they've done that we can enjoy the freedom in this beautiful country that we have now. But I read a prayer during the week which helped me to just refocus because I was getting really worked up about the war and feeling really anxious about it. And it just really helped me to get my focus back where it belongs. So I've included a little bit of that in the prayer I'm we're going to offer to the Lord this morning. So will you join with me now? Loving Father, last week we celebrated Easter and the true meaning of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the death of one man for the salvation of all mankind. Tomorrow we will remember the deaths of the many men and women in the First and Second World Wars, who gave their lives for the freedom of others. Your word tells us, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We give you our heartfelt thanks for their sacrifices and what they have achieved. We know that the soldiers in the Ukraine are making this same sacrifice right now, and we pray for them, Lord. We ask for their protection. We pray for comfort for their families and for all of the victims of this terrible war. Please do what only you can do and sustain them all during these times. Lord, it can seem hopeless and it greatly concerns us, but we know you are greater. You are the only one who can break the power of sin and darkness, as we've sung this morning. You are the Lord of the nations, and your purposes will be fulfilled Help us to trust in your unfailing love, thanking you for the good you are doing. When evil seems to flourish in the world around us, it feels as if things are spinning out of control. But we know that you are not wringing your hands helplessly, wondering what to do next. You are completely in control, behind the scenes, working your goodness in the midst of the turmoil. So in faith, Father, we thank you for the good you are doing, in ways we can't see or imagine, and we look forward to seeing that revealed in your perfect time. Your wisdom and knowledge are deeper and richer than our words could ever express. Your judgments are unsearchable and your paths beyond tracing out. So the wisest thing we can do is trust you in all times and in all circumstances, even when the world feels unsteady and we don't understand your ways. Lord, help us to gaze on you in all our moments. Help us to fix our eyes on what is unseen, especially on you, Jesus. Your word assures us that you will keep us in perfect peace to the extent that our minds are focused on you and trusting in you. At the same time, help us to be vigilant 
faithful in prayer and interceding for those in desperate need during these times, to give sacrificially as we are able, to help alleviate some of the suffering, and in prayer to uphold the leaders of the Ukraine and the leaders of the nations supporting them. We thank you for the unity we have seen and pray that you will continue to give them strength, courage, wisdom and compassion. Be with them all, we pray. Thank you that you are the God and Father of us all. In the invincible name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. That was great. Um, So now, my pleasure to invite you up, Willie. And uh, we're just so thankful for you and your willingness to come and preach this morning. You all right? And, um, yeah, let's pray for you too. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for Willie's heart just to serve you and to be bold and share your word. And, Lord, we just pray uh, this morning for open ears and just to hear this message that she's prepared and that you've prepared through her. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Dan. Good morning, everyone. I really enjoyed the girls' music this morning and, and Carol's heartfelt prayer. Um, Dave's got a image for me up there, the topic of today's message, Hind's Feet on High Places. It's based on the scripture in Psalm 18.33 and it says, He makes my feet like Hind's feet. He enables me to stand on the heights. No animal has such perfect correlation of its front and rear feet as a deer. When it leaps from rock to rock, its back feet land exactly where the front feet have been. If we are to climb higher with God than we have ever gone before, then we must know spiritual sure-footedness as well. Can we decide together today, at this time, in this place, that we will let nothing stand in the way of making our feet like Hind's feet and climbing with God to the high places. There are numerous references in Scripture where the pursuit of God is likened to a deer climbing steadily and sure-footedly toward the high places. And the more we consider the analogy, the more rich and rewarding are the truths that we can draw from it. Why does God liken the pursuit of himself to a deer making its way upward to the high places? And why does he focus so much attention to the deer's feet? The deer has an amazing ability, as we've said, when climbing a steep mountain slope of ensuring that its back feet land on the exact spot where the front feet were positioned. This perfect correlation between its front and back feet enables the deer to avoid dangers that would come to a less coordinated animal. What the deer experiences in the natural realm, we can experience in the spiritual realm. Here's an important question. Do we really want to climb higher with God than we have ever done before? Is there a deep longing in our hearts to rise up, like the prophet Micah, who said, 
Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. At this time and place, shall we also decide to go to the mountain of the Lord? This can be the greatest time of spiritual growth we have ever known. If we supply the willingness, we can be sure that God will give us the power. Back to our analogy. While the male heart, while the male deer, the heart, is a wonderful example of sure-footedness, still more wonderful is the female, the hind. To watch the hind leading her young onto the ledges of the mountains peaks and into the hidden crevices is thought to be the most perfect example of physical coordination that God ever made. Why is this physical coordination so important? Well, when a deer moves upwards over a steep mountain slope, it moves by leaping from rock to rock, from one spot to another. And for this reason, it needs to be certain that its back feet will land on something that is solid and unlikely to move or slide. And so by positioning its front feet on something that is secure, it instinctively knows that if its rear feet land there also, it will move upward in safety. This sense of perfect coordination is not something the deer learns. It's an instinctive ability given to the animal by the creator. And what God has done for the deer in the natural realm he is able to do for us in the spiritual realm. Notice again the words of the psalmist, he makes my feet like hind's feet. Notice the words he makes. It is deeply encouraging that it is not something we have to achieve on our own. God has the biggest part. So what are the spiritual lessons we can draw from the deer's amazing ability to ensure that its back feet land on the exact spot where its front feet have been? It's this. Just as the creature, which has the most perfect correlation between its front and rear feet, makes its way swiftly and safely to the mountaintop, so the Christian who has a perfect correlation between the head and the heart will rise to new heights in God. Unless the head and heart are properly coordinated and move purposefully together, it is possible to miss our step on the steep slopes of Christian experience. Perhaps nowhere in Scripture is this truth more clearly seen than in Mark 11.23, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Here we see that things that happen in the spiritual realm where there is a perfect coordination between what we ask for with our lips and what we believe in our heart. When our mind and our heart track together with the sure-footedness of a mountain deer, Nothing is impossible for us. Regarding our heart, Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Do you ever get frustrated at the things you continually pray for you never receive? I know I have. 
The reason could be that our mind is asking for one thing and our heart another. The mind is a much easier part of the personality to deal with than the heart. We can approach God with our minds and think that because we have a clear idea of what we want from God, he will give it to us. But the heart may contain hidden doubts and fears, which prevents us from receiving from God because we're not asking out of a fully integrated personality. I read somewhere, God does not just answer prayer, he answers you. God is not just listening to your words, he's listening to you. He's listening to the attitude of the heart. When we present our request to God, are our minds and hearts as one? Is what we are asking with our lips fully supported by what we are saying in our heart? If not, then when we attempt to climb higher with God, we will not have the precise coordination we need to climb the steep slopes of spiritual growth. You might be asking, what is the essential difference between the mind and the heart? Well, the mind is the part of us that thinks and reasons. The heart is the part of us that contains our deep longings and desires. Although the mind is important... The heart is even more important because it is the engine room of our personality, the part from which comes our drive and motivation. That is why Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. There is no doubt that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Let's consider some of the steps we can take in order to bring about a more perfect coordination between the heart and the mind. The first step is to take an honest, straightforward look at what is going on beneath the surface of our lives. David was aware of this when he said, God requires truth in the inward parts. Some fear that looking beneath the surface of our lives leads to an unhealthy preoccupation and others fear that constant self-examination is the only way forward. Both are unbalanced positions. An occasional honest and straightforward look at what is going on beneath the surface of our lives contributes greatly to our spiritual progress, providing it is done in a proper and balanced way. It's helpful to see our lives as an iceberg. I think Dave's got a nice shot there. We are told that the visible part of an iceberg, the part above the waterline, is about 10% of the total size. The majority lies hidden beneath the surface. Our lives are like that. There's so much more to them than we see on the surface. Think of the visible part above the waterline as representing the things you do the thoughts you consciously think and the feelings you sense that are going on within you. Let that mass below the waterline represent the things that go on inside you that cannot be clearly seen or understood, such as motives, attitudes, impulses and so on. Facing what goes on Facing what goes on above the waterline, our visible behaviours and actions, is a whole lot easier than delving beneath the surface. And this is why many of us concern ourselves only with what we see, what we know, what we understand. 
If, however, we are to enjoy a deeper relationship with God, then we will do so only as we come to groups with the tough issues that lie beneath the surface of our lives. The answer to the inner longing some people feel is to focus on what goes above the waterline, the area of performance and behaviours, so they try harder in terms of Bible reading, prayer, Christian activities or more giving. There's nothing wrong with greater obedience, but it's not the only answer. It's a great mistake when we are recognising when we are recognising we are not receiving from God the things we want to receive, is to think the solution lies solely in more spiritual effort. The assumption being that as we do more above the waterline, the problems below the waterline will all come good. Sometimes greater obedience and more responsible effort does have this result. However, there is more to spiritual change than a change on the surface of our lives. It can begin there, but it's not complete until the focus moves from the surface to the deep. God is most gentle and compassionate to those who see themselves as they really are, confess to him and ask for his help in becoming the person they know he wants them to be. Most of us are not good at looking at ourselves and reflecting honestly on what goes on beneath the surface of our lives. Why? Why is this so? Well, one of those reasons is fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of losing control, fear of spoiling a comfortable existence or fear of facing some unpleasant discoveries about ourselves. When we read the Bible, however, what what do we find? We discover texts like the one in Proverbs 20 verse 27, which says that the lamp of the Lord searches the spirit of a man. It searches out his inmost being. God has designed us with the ability to explore our deepest parts. In another text, we hear the psalmist crying out to God, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. One purpose of godly examination is to bring what is discovered to the Lord so that he can deal with it and remove it from our personalities. Taking an honest look at what is going on beneath the surface of our lives will bring about a deeper dependence on God and thereby contributing to our spiritual effectiveness. Recognition of our true condition provides a strong motivation to look away from ourselves and turn in simple faith and dependence on the Lord Jesus. The journey won't be painless, but it will be profitable. So we've looked at the first step toward producing a perfect coordination between our heart, head and heart, which is to be willing to take an honest look at what is going on beneath the surface of our lives. The second step involves us facing the question, when I pray or seek God, is my heart fully behind what I'm asking with my lips? David prayed, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Let's take, for an ex- for example, the issue of forgiveness. We all know that forgiving one another is what God requires of us, so we speak words of forgiveness from our lips. 
But the most important thing we must do if we are to climb high with God is to make sure there is no bitterness or resentment lingering in our hearts. Pursuing God while harbouring resentment and animosity towards someone will cause our rear feet to not track with our front feet, putting ourselves in danger of slipping over the edge of spiritual failure. More clearly, if anyone has sinned against us and we have not forgiven them from the depths of our hearts, then the attitude of unwillingness is a sin against God. The Apostle John says, Anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. There's a word psychologists and counsellors use to describe the attitude of those who ignore what may be going on inside them, and that word is denial. What is denial? Well, it's the attitude that avoids looking realistically at issues and and pretends that things are not the way they really are. Deep down, we sense that if we were to face the realities of life openly and honestly, we might not be able to cope. So it's easier to pretend that things are not what they really are. The choice then is either to deny and live comfortably or face every issue painfully and go on to climb the heights of God. The third step we must take if we are to have feet like hind's feet and be able to pursue God with a coordinated heart and mind is to be willing to get in touch with a deep thirst for God that resides at the core of all our beings. We will never pursue God with feet like hinds feet until we become aware of this deep inner thirst that we all have for God. Can we ask ourselves, do we pursue God in such a way that everything else in our lives takes second place? There's a major problem with which we all struggle as soon as we're born. When God created us, he designed us to have a relationship with himself This means that deep within our being is a thirst for God which will not go away. No human relationship can satisfy in the way that a relationship with God can. This deep thirst for God that resides within us makes us dependent on God for satisfaction and that is something our sinful human nature deeply resents. So here's the problem. To face the fact realistically that we inwardly thirst after God puts us in touch with a level of helplessness from which our sinful nature pulls away. It reinforces the conviction that we are dependent on someone outside of ourselves for satisfaction. And that's something we don't care to acknowledge in our sinful nature. The terrible tendency of the human heart is to try and satisfy our own thirst independently of God. Christian psychologists and counsellors agree that almost every spiritual or psychological problem that exists has at its roots the condition that the person is failing in some way to let God satisfy their deep inner thirst. Jesus tells us, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If we are not conscious that God is meeting the deep thirst we have for him on the inside of our being, then the inner emptiness will move us in one of two directions. 
to work to fill the emptiness in any way we can or to withdraw and protect ourselves from the possibility of any more pain. It's much easier to pretend we are thirsting after God than it is to face the challenge of giving up our commitment to independence. What's the answer? Well, I must ask God to search my heart, expose my self-centred motivations and help me to see just where it is that I stop short of panting after God. You see, the more deeply we sense our thirst, the more passionately we will pursue water. But we will never sense that thirst until we are willing to face the fact that we may be drinking from our own self-constructed wells rather than from the well of God. Why would we want to deny our basic helplessness and independence? Because to recognise it puts us in a position where we have to repent of it and that is something our fallen nature pulls back from doing. So what do we need to repent from? Our stubborn commitment to independence, the awful desire and practice of choosing to dig our own wells, no matter what we say with our lips, we will never begin, begin to pant after God until we are prepared to repent of the self-sufficiency that it's made its home deep within our hearts. This is the biggest single step we can take in our pursuit of God and the experience of having feet like hinds feet. Throughout the ages when God's people humble themselves and turn from their own ways, he hears their prayers and forgives them and he heals them. The fourth step we must take if we are to have feet like hinds feet is to learn how to face and handle doubts. Now by doubts I mean things like, you know, you often hear people say, I wonder if God really does love me. I wonder if there is really a life after this life. You know, all those, those human doubts that creep in, in, into people's minds. We all have them from time to time. So what exactly is doubt? Well, it's a major misconception. The major misconception concerning doubt is to view it as the opposite of faith, which it isn't. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. The author Oz Guinness put it like this, to believe is to be in one mind about accepting something as true. To disbelieve is to be in one mind about rejecting it. To doubt is to waver between the two, to believe and disbelieve at once and so be in two minds. It's only when we understand what doubt really is that we can deal with it in the way we should. We should never allow doubts to bring us into condemnation. For when faced, they can become a catalyst to a deeper pursuit with God. One of the values of doubt is that it can be used to detect er error. Because not all things are true, not everything should be believed. Some things ought to be doubted. One writer says the inescapable presence of doubt is a constant reminder of our responsibility to truth in a twilight world of truth and half-truth. Doubt is a motivation to challenge us to find out the truth about a situation. Many feel ashamed when they experience doubt and push the doubts below the surface of their minds and refuse to recognise them. How can we handle doubt? Well, Hebrews 4.12 tells us, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, 
It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and hearts, the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So we can read and study the Word of God. We can talk to doubts with the words from the Word of God. We can take doubt to the Lord in prayer. We can talk to a mature Christian and we can remind ourselves of the doubtless prayer, which was compiled by Martin Luther, who prayed, Dear Lord, although I am sure of my position, I am unable to sustain it without Thee. Help me or I am lost. Just bear with me. I know there's a lot of things, but it's pretty hard to <laughs> dissect this message into two. But bear with me because there's a cu- only a couple more points, but they're very important. A fifth suggestion of how we can f- um, how we can have feet like hinds' feet and ascend into the heights of God is to recognise the subtle and insidious nature of sin. Sin involves more than what goes on above the surface. There is also something going on in the deep recesses of the heart. There is a category of sin that is not easily recognisable and not very well known. This sin is probably more deeply buried in our hearts than any other. This sin is demandingness. The word doesn't exist in the Bible, but you will see it well illustrated there. Demandingness is insisting that our interests be served irrespective of others. Clearly, if Christ is to live within us, we need to die to that. We demand that people treat us in the way we believe they should. We demand our spouses focus on our needs. We demand people support us in our times of trouble. We demand that no one comes close to hurting us the way we may have been hurt in our childhood. Demandingness shows itself by an insistence that God answers our prayers in the way we think he should. Deep hurt and deep suffering is a great environment in which to feed a demanding spirit. Nothing convinces us more that God must answer our prayers the way we think he should than when we are experiencing continued pain and heartache. How can we be sure that our desiring doesn't turn into demandingness? Well, when we are willing to say, if God does not grant what I desire, then I can still go on because I know he will never abandon me and in his love I have all the strength I need to handle whatever comes. How do we deal with demandingness? We repent of it. Hosea 14 verse 2 shows us how to take our words and return to the Lord. The phrase take words with you means that we must put into words a clear description of what we are repenting of. If we are not clear what is going on inside us, how can we repent of it? Repentance puts us in touch with the forgiveness of God. We can bring about change, but the greatest catalyst for change is humbly positioning ourselves before God and asking for his forgiveness. We will be drawn into true worship when we give up insisting on our own way and learn to trust God for our happiness. When repentance moves us from a spirit of demandingness to absolute trust in God, 
then we put ourselves in the position where God can make our feet like Heinz feet and equip us with the ability to ascend into great heights with him. If we are to let nothing stand between us and making our feet like Heinz feet, then another step we must take is this. Understand the nature of disappointment and how it works to hinder us in our pursuit of God. All of us have been disappointed. Living in a fallen world means we have been subjected to experiences where we have been let down by others. But this is not the problem. The problem occurs when we allow the hurts and disappointments of the past to prevent us from reaching out to God and others in an attitude of love. A dramatic illustration of this can be found in Luke 24, verse 36. It's the evening of the day of the resurrection, and without warning, Jesus suddenly enters the room where his disciples are gathered and makes himself known to them. How do they respond? Listen to the words in the New English Bible translation. They were still unconvinced, still wondering, for it seemed too good to be true. It was obvious that the disappointment of Christ's crucifixion and death still resonated deeply within them. And now, faced with the reality of the resurrection, they did not want to believe it in case it was not true and they would be disappointed again. They wanted to believe, but they had difficulty in doing so because they knew they could not cope with what would happen in the hearts if it turned out that what they were seeing was not true. Rather than take the risk of faith, they preferred, for a little while at least, to withdraw into the safety of disappointment. And this is the tragedy of disappointment. It can, unless looked at and dealt with, resonate within us and hinder us in our pursuit of God. Why is it necessary to know how to cope with disappointment? Because if disappointment is allowed to resonate in our hearts, however much we pretend it's not there, the true feelings in our hearts will prevent us moving upward towards the peaks of God. Our back feet will not track where our front feet have been positioned and so we could miss our step on the steep slopes that lead us to a closer fellowship with God. The first thing we should learn about appointment disappointment is this. It's okay to feel it. It's better to face disappointment and feel it than pretend it's not there. The danger that we face when we are unwilling to face and feel the disappointments that come our way is that we will come become that we will come to depend on our own strategies to cope with them and turn only partially to Jesus for help and strength. Facing and feeling disappointment is a sure way of coming to recognize that God and God alone is the only one who can help us cope with them. When we can look into the face of disappointment and be willing to feel the pain it brings, there's no more powerful way of motivating our heart to a full dependence on Jesus. The seventh and last step we must take if we are to have feet like Heinz feet is to ask God to rid our heart of all and every fear. Not all fears are harmful. Fear makes the frightened deer alert and fleet of foot. When we use fear and control it, then it's good. When we fear and control, when fear controls us, it's bad.
overcoming the fears that sometimes grip our hearts ought to be the, one of the greatest objectives in our lives. The first word of the gospel was the voice of the angel, do not be afraid. The first word of Jesus after his resurrection was, do not be afraid. Between the first word and the last word, the constant endeavour of Jesus was to help us get rid of our fears. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 tells us, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love and of self-discipline. If we are to be free from unproductive fears, then we must take a few moments to look at its negative and widespread influence. When Simon Peter stepped out of the boat and attempted to walk to Jesus, we read, he was frightened and began to sink. Fear makes you sink. When Jesus healed the paralytic, he saw that his paralysis was rooted in fear, which in turn was rooted in sin. So his word was, take heart, my son, and his second, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus lifted the guilt, that lifted the fear, and that in turn lifted the paralysis. When the disciples fell on their faces at the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, terrified because they had heard the voice of God, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Rise and have no fear. Fear puts you down. Faith lifts you up. The man who buried his talent brought back the unused talent and said, I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Fear did it. Again, it was said of the disciples that, that they gathered behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. Fear always puts you behind closed doors. It makes you an introvert. Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Fear always drives you underground. It's important to point out that fear is different from anxiety. Psychologists go to great lengths to point out the difference. Fear has a specific object, whereas anxiety is a vague and unspecified apprehension. What's your biggest fear? Benjamin Rank, a social scientist, says there are basically two forms of fear. The fear of life and the fear of death. The fear of life is the fear of, of having to live as an isolated individual and the fear of death is the fear of losing individuality. He says, between these two fear possibilities, these poles of fear, the individual is thrown back and forth all of his life. With many, it's not the fear of life that paralyzes them. It's the fear of death. This is really interesting. The New English Bible translates Hebrews 2 verse 15 this way and might liberate those who through their fear of death had all their lifetime been in servitude. Is it necessary to live under such servitude? Of course not. When Christ has all of us, then fear can have no part of us. It's as simple as that. When any fear rises within us and threatens to beat us into submission with its overbearing presence, just calmly look it in the eye and say, I'm not afraid of you. You have been decisively beaten by my Lord. The confidence, this confidence, is our starting point. Nothing can touch us that hasn't touched him and been defeated. 
Surrender all your fears into God's hands. This isn't as easy as it sounds, for it probably means giving up a whole life strategy. Let's renounce them as a way to live. Can we do that? We can if we are willing to depend on Jesus for life rather than depending on our own strategies and self-coping devices. To look at ourselves creates more fear, fear of fear. To look at God creates faith. Keep repeating to yourself the verse in the verse in First John four eighteen. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. If there's no fear in love, then the obvious thing to do is to love. Fear can only come where love is not. Where love is, fear is not. How do you love? Well, don't try to work it up. Just open your heart to the love that is in God's heart for you. Remember his word that says, we love because he first loved us. As his love comes in, so fear will move out. Then free of fear, your mind and heart will move in a coordinated fashion, fleet-footed up into the hills of God. So let's just remind ourselves of the seven things we've identified as being necessary to bring about a more coordinated to bring about more perfect coordination between our heart and our mind. Firstly, take an honest, straightforward look at what's going on beneath the surface of our lives. Face the question, when I pray, is my heart fully behind what I ask? Be willing to get in touch with deep thirst for God, which resides at the core of our being, and learn to face and handle any doubts that may arise in your hearts. Recognise the subtle and insidious nature of sin and understand the nature of disappointment and how it works to hinder your pursuit of God and ask God to get your heart rid of ask God to rid your heart of all and every fear and here's a reward if we attend to one of these suggestions your your spiritual life will move into a new dimension attend to all of them and you're destined to the heights one word of caution Don't try to do too much at once. Work one suggestion before moving on to the next, always in the presence and with the direction of the Holy Spirit. Ask him, which one first? Growth in Christ isn't arriving, but moving steadily upward in a godly direction. We have said, out of the heart spring the issues of life. And when our lips and heart are in alignment, when they track together with absolute certainty that the rear feet will track with the front feet, then nothing is impossible for us. Let's pray. Father, what can we say? We have heard your call and we can never be the same again. We ask if you would make this time and place in our lives one of rich and joyous discovery. Help us climb higher than we have ever gone before, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Willie, for that word. And we're going to just stand and end our service with a song. So if you could just join us, please. Thank you.
Just the piano, please. music team just while we uh, come to a close just really I really want to thank you for your message I think it was really timely um, as we are dealing with so much in life uh, I, I watched this video this week actually timely uh, of this mountain goat or deer whatever it was uh, facing a cliff it must have been a hundred meters high and it just went dunk, 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 straight up amazing and it, it looks impossible right um, but from your message, I just felt like maybe many of us here look at that and go, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> but God's actually saying to you, no, no, that's for you to do. And that is who you are made to be. And if we can get our heart and mind aligned like you've been saying, and there's things that you need to process or you want to pray about this morning, um, perhaps we'll open up the front or if you want to go out in the back in the private room there in the prayer room, just encourage you, let's start to deal with some of this stuff. Because I've got a vision for the church that we will all be mountain deers bounding up the hill together. And what a glorious thing that could be. Um, yeah, so I just want to encourage you, take that word. Maybe re-listen to Willie's sermon on the podcast. There's so much in there around how we can deal with doubt and how we can deal with, uh, you know, being self-secure. That's one that I struggle with. I want to have it all under control. Um, but yeah, just pray with one another. Like, Open your hearts up to each other. Let's, let's, let's really get to the depth of that. Um, but thank you, Willie. And uh, yeah, God bless you guys. I'll just pray as we, we finish up. Yeah, Heavenly Father, well, Lord, just that vision, Lord, of that bounding, bounding deer, those hind legs in coordination with its front legs, just effortlessly. It feels hard sometimes. It feels, it feels difficult to even imagine being that free and sure-footed. But in you, Lord, it's possible and your grace abounds to enable it and um, there's just so much in our lives Lord that we probably hang on to that we need to let go of Lord just ask your Holy Spirit to speak to us now to fill us with your wisdom and your insight and help us surrender what we need to surrender to you bless you Jesus we just ask for your Holy Spirit Lord come now Lord Jesus in Jesus name bless you Lord Amen Look, if you want to get prayer or you want to come and you know, talk to someone about some of the things Willie shared, I really encourage you to do that. Um, but bless you um, as you go this week. Um, yeah, we'll be out the front if you would like some prayer. That'd be great. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, team.